0: Morning everyone, welcome to National Capital Bible Church and before we begin anything with God's word, we have an opportunity to regroup and pursue spiritual preparation and um, based on 1st John 1 9 which tells us that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's just pause for a moment of silence and utilize First 1 John 1, 1.9 and confess any known sins to God. And then after that, I will open in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, what a privilege it is to be able to assemble together with the family of God. We know how important this is, not only to bring you honor and glory, Your son mentioned that we will worship you in spirit and in truth, and that's what we attempt to do each and every week when we assemble. The scripture says to not forsake the assembling of saints as well, and before we look into your word, we named our sins to thee, recognizing that we need cleansing. And so now, Father, we ask that you would help us through the agency of God, the Holy Spirit, to examine your word this morning recognizing that it is it is God, the Holy Spirit, who illuminates the truth of your word. And we ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The call to worship this morning is taken from Psalms chapter 1, one of my all-time favorites, because it starts off with chapter 1, kind of helps us to reset and shift gears and recognize who we are in God, not only that, but uh, reminds us of our, we should associate with, and what happens when we associate with the believers as opposed to the unbelievers. Chapter 1 of Psalms, beginning with verse 1, is very clear, blessed or happy is the man Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. So the ungodly is linked to the word sinners there, verse 1. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We can say that his delight is in the word of God. And in his law, he meditates or reflects day and night. So it's this ongoing reflection on the word of God. And when you do, verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season. So there's fruit bearing, similar to what Jesus taught in John 15, abiding in him which will result in much fruit, thus giving God the Father glory and honor, whose leaf is not, who shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, so they don't have the benefit of bearing fruit, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. There's no stability in the unbeliever. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He sees everything that we go through. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. As you know... The Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. We've been doing that for about a year now, well, I've been saying this for about a year. Does anybody know these verses by heart? those are the verses that can lead someone to Christ. And as you know, repetition is the key to memorization. I do that for a specific reason, because those verses encompass the salvation package 1, 2, and 3, beginning with sal- phase 1. So I encourage you to learn them as I'm saying them, because when we are out in the field. We sometimes will say, oh, what's that verse? Um, you know, believe on Jesus. But those verses are designed to lead someone to Christ. The simplicity of the gospel. That's what God paid for with his son. This morning, we're going to continue through James. Because as you know, I've been covering phase two salvation under the category of basics, because I believe that that belongs there. Basics are just principles that we should be familiar with, and I sometimes think that we often miss what the text says because we're so familiar with it. When we talk about phase two salvation, I'm sure that is something that we're all familiar with, right? Phase two is what? save from the power of sin. So, how many of you struggle with, with sin, aside from myself? We need deliverance from sin. And James is loaded with phase two material. It's focused on putting faith, uh, feet to faith, the application of doctrine. And so we're going to move through this. I'm not going to stay on each verse too long. Because we've gone through it already, but you know me, I'm into repetition. I believe in repeating things from time to time. And maybe that bores some of you, but I assure you, that's how things are memorized. Think, for example, the gospel accounts. How many gospels are there? How many times have you said, oh, I read this in Matthew when I read Luke? Or maybe you've read Luke and you said, oh, isn't this in Mark? Have you ever come to that conclusion that I've read this before? Well, God believes in repetition, and he has chosen to repeat things in the Gospels themselves. So we're in good company. So now, um, let's go back to this verse here. Help me out with this. This is a passage that the Reformed or Lordship crowd loves to use. What's going on here in James 2.14? What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? So, Lordship will say, unless I see fruit, you probably had a head faith, but not a heart faith. Have you heard that before? You miss heaven by this much, 12 inches. It should have been a heart faith, not just a head faith. You heard that before. This is one of the verses that they use all the time. Please look at it closely. What is it saying here? Since we covered this last week, you should know this, right? You're scrambling for your notes, but you should know this because someone will open this and say, well, Marty, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, what good is it, right? So let's try to work with this. It's just one verse and then we'll move on. What's the benefit? Let me reword it. What What's the benefit if my brethren, believers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works, can faith save him? What's the word save mean? Deliver, right? Can faith deliver him? This is coming from James. What's the benefit? You have faith, but you don't have works. No spiritual connection. So, Oh, production. Okay, so help me understand this. So no production. So what does that mean? You're here only, but not a doer. Is that what James was arguing in chapter 1? What did he say? Doers, be a doer, not a hearer only. So we're going to follow the argument through chapter 3, okay? Chapter 1, what did we learn in chapter 1? The very opening. Huh? He's he's talking to brethren. What was that, How? Count it all joy. When what? Various trials. You go through trials today, this week, this month, you're going to get hit with all sorts of trials. So God's word is already telling us. Bank on that. Count it all joy when you get hit with various trials. Why? You're going to build up your endurance. And what's that, Laura? Said it, produces endurance. it produces endurance. What does? What's being tested? Your faith, it's being tested. Your faith is being tested, not your church attendance. So when we get to chapter 2, we're going to see, beginning with this verse, there's people who have all this doctrine, but as Hal said, no application. And that's what we saw in chapter 1, right? Don't be hearers only, but be doers. So when you get to verse 14... What good is it if you someone says he has faith, but it's not accompanied with works? You're not being a doer. But they're going to say, lordship crowd is going to say, but the faith is not accompanied with works. So therefore, you missed heaven. You had a head faith, but not a heart faith. And they argue this through through and through. And a lot of people fall for this. They say, well, that's true. You've got to have works. What kind of faith is it if you don't have works? But the issue is not the reality of one's faith, remember? It's the reality of what? The prophet. What is the prophet if you have faith but you don't have works? So James is arguing about the reality of the prophet. Look, what's the prophet? He's not questioning the person's faith. He's questioning the prophet. What's the benefit? He's not saying you don't have real faith. He's saying you do have faith. It just doesn't have any works. Therefore, what's the benefit? So the question that's being questioned should be not if he has faith, but whether or not there's any benefit to it without works. So remember what I said last week. We're questioning the wrong question we're not ask, we should not be asking what's the benefit of faith can it save but the profit of that faith apart from works if that faith does not have works what does it profit and to prove that case James then takes us to verse 14 or 15 through 17 and says look if a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not what? You don't apply doctrine. You do not give them the things which are needed for the body. Which? What does it profit? There's the question again. What does it profit? What's the benefit? You've got all this doctrine. You've got all this word of God in you, but you're not using it. Thus faith by itself divorced from works, if it does not have works, is useless. So you go to church every Sunday, you go to a Wednesday night class every Wednesday, and you don't use it. What is the benefit? What does it what go what's the objective if you have all this stored up inside you? You have copious notes in your folder, but you're not using it. So if someone comes to you and is in need, but you don't apply the things that you've learned, does it really profit anybody? No. That's the force of James' argument. What good is it to have all this doctrine, all this word, all these principles, but you don't use it? There's no benefit. So chapter 1, count it all joy. Chapter 1, again, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Right here in chapter 2, they were spouting out, I have faith. But James says, yeah, you have faith, but you don't have works. So again, in chapter 1, they're talking, 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 count it all joy. Be doers of the word, not only hearers. Here someone says, I have faith, but it's divorced from works. So what good is it? There's no value in it. It's useless. And James says, it is dead. No good. Now, we we left off with this last week. This is the last verse that we left off with. Remember, even so... The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. What's he talking about here now? Speech, the tongue. How great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is what? A fire, a world of iniquity or evil. The tongue is so set among our body that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Is that true? It's set on fire by hell itself? We're going to see that it's not actually from hell itself, but I think this is going to dovetail into showing us the different viewpoints, the human viewpoint and divine viewpoint, and how it's diabolical. So it's originating from the adversary himself. So we saw in 2:14 faith you're saying you have all this faith but it's not accompanied with works when you get to chapter 3 we remember in the opening of chapter 3 not all of you should become teachers why? Cuz that was a habit of them they were going around and they would stand up and teach. They would say whatever they would want to say and think that they're they were arrogant and they were saying, "Well, this is what it says, this is what the Bible says." When, in fact, there was a lot of arrogance behind that. And James says, look, not everyone should become teachers like what you guys are trying to do. Why? Because there's a stricter judgment for those who are teaching. A stricter judgment, the opening of chapter 3. And now he's going to address the mouth, the tongue, the speech. And we saw earlier, last week, that you can control a horse, you can control a ship, But guess what? You can't even control your own tongue. And he says, by the way, if you can control the tongue, you can control the entire body. Isn't that interesting? We're going to see that again in just a moment. If you can control your speech, then you can actually control your whole body. That was in the previous chapter or previous verses where we saw that. That's verse 2, 3, 2. Let me read it for you all, or you can open your Bible as well. Remember James 3, 2. For we all stumble in many things. So that covers everybody. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in what? In word. He is a perfect man, able also to bridle or control the whole body. That's quite telling. If we stumble in all kinds of things, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Remember, I pointed out as well that the word man here is not anthropos, which is generic for man and woman. It's anir. Where I was saying that because anir is specifically to a husband, a particular man, not general anthropos, this could be talking about qualities of a good husband. So if a person, if you have an anir who is not stumbling in word, but I I think contextually he's talking about all of us, but because of the word, the choice word that James used here, it's very interesting that it, it almost looks like James is saying, well, if you want to find the quality of a good husband, he's going to have a good, he's going to have control of his speech. And how many times have we seen in marriages today, where husband and wives, they don't control their speech. And so when they talk to each other, they sometimes say things that they regret. They get into a squabble and they say, oh, you son of a... Oh, no, you goes back and forth, back and forth, and we say things that we regret later on. So it looks like James is saying that in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, but someone who can control his speech... He is a mature individual, a mature man or anir. He's a perfect man, able also to bridle his entire body. So now 3, 5, and 6. You see the idea of self-centeredness right from the get-go, the opening of verse 5. Self-centeredness and boasting. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So there's this idea of self-centeredness and boasting. He's, James is zooming in on the contents of the tongue. And notice James says it's full of iniquity, or another word, is evil. But the tongue is a fire, a world of evil. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, defiling the entire body and its effects are listed as setting on fire the course of life itself. James says the source is from hell, but metaphorically, as I'd mentioned last week, speaking this emphasis uh speaking like this emphasizes the damage caused by words. Just as fire can spread and cause destruction, the tongue can cause much damage which is why we have to be careful with what we say. While not literally from hell, we're going to see later on that James will later on label human viewpoint as originating from the devil himself. Then he moves on in verse 7 and 8. Notice this. For every kind of beast and bird of re- reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So it looks like mankind can control Fido more than he can his tongue. Another way of putting it, right? I was trying to think of a nice doggy name. I was going to say Hannah, but I didn't want Bill to get uh, the wrong idea. I'm not saying... But um, Fido. Notice the four categories of animals mentioned here. Every kind of beast, every kind of bird, every kind of reptile, every kind of creature of the sea. Have you, any of you been to SeaWorld in California? Orca, the killer whales, can jump up, hit a bell, and swim away. They were tamed and controlled and taught how to do that. Look at what the scripture says, what James says. Every kind of beast and bird Reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So there's four categories of animals here. And I specifically um, highlighted the words tamed. That's the Greek word damadzo. It's both in the present tense and the perfect tense. Present tense is tamed. Present tense has been tamed. Perfect tense. And the difference is present tense, it's ongoing ongoing, every kind of beast, every kind of bird, every kind of reptile, every kind of creature of the sea is currently being tamed. And when it's in the perfect tense, it talks about what has been successfully done in the past with future results. It's reminding us that in the future, we'll see successive results in the same way. So they will be continuing on with being being able to tame every beast, every bird, every reptile and creature of the sea but no man can tame the tongue so we can handle all of the animals of the world but we can't control the tongue in fact if you look at genesis uh, bill can you read genesis 9 2 old testament this time So they will what? What does it say? They the animals will fear us. They will fear us. We also see this in Genesis 1:26. The animals are going to be subject to us. Actually James 9:2 drives that point home. The animals fear us. So we're going to subdue the animal kingdom. We're seeing that from Genesis 1:26. Genesis 9, 2, and by the time you get to Gen- James 3, every kind of beast, bird, and reptile, and creature is tamed. We're subduing them today. Present tense is continuing on, has been tamed. It assures us successes of the future. This will be an ongoing thing that we're going to be able to accomplish, uh, taming the animal kingdom. But we cannot tame the tongue. It's interesting. We can tame all the animals, but we can't tame the tongue. That's James's argument here in 7 and 8. Speech. And you'll, you'll see why I'm emphasizing the animal kingdom in just a moment. Now he tells us in verse 9 through 10. With it, we bless our God and Father, with it we curse men. With what? The tongue. Who have been made in the similitude of God, in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. So James is saying we use the same instrument to offer praise to God that we use to curse the driver who cuts us off. What do we call these, uh, in California we call it freeways. Is this called the expressway? It's freeway? Okay, so if someone cuts you off, we can use the tongue to either give God honor and glory. We bless our God and Father, and we also curse men who have been made in the image of God. That's verse 9. So the tongue reflects the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, or the influence of the sin nature. And both cannot be happening at the same time. Our mouth can be a source of blessing or cursing. That's the idea And the sense that we get from James 3, 9, and 10. How we use the tongue is either to bless God or to curse man. We should be careful, but we can't do it on our own. We're told repeatedly now that we can, we can subdue the animals, but we can't subdue our tongue. So how are we going to do this then? What's the solution? If we're te- if we're being told, well, you know what? If you can control the tongue, you can control the entire body, but you can't. So why bother then? You can't, right? You can. You can. Okay, you can. So he continues after ten now with this inconsistency this from creation itself to basically criticize the inconsistency of man's language or tongue. He said, creation offers, let's read it first, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? James is expecting a negative answer. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt and fresh That's the whole idea there. No, it can't. You can't. So creation offers a criticize or rebuke to the inconsistency of man. James is anticipating a negative response. Ask, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No, the point is clear. A believer's tongue should not be inconsistent. Using creation itself, he says, look, there's a consistency with creation. Spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Does it? No. So he's saying, well, neither should your tongue. You should not be inconsistent. Then he transitions to wisdom now because he's still talking about the tongue. Remember in chapter 3, verse 1, the opening, he says, not all of you should become teachers. So now, still addressing with that same idea in mind, he says, look, who's wise and understanding among you all? Let him show by what? Good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. And what did we see in James 2.14? What good is it if a man has, says he has faith but does not have works? So now works are important here. Again, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct, good behavior, that his works are done in humility, or meekness of wisdom. So now works is used again. This time it's used in the context of demonstrating that you are wise and you have understanding. So few believers need a change in their circumstances half as much as they need wisdom to manage their circumstances. An example would be a Christian man doesn't need a new spouse. He needs God's wisdom to love and live with the spouse that he has. So, we need wisdom for that. If we're, if we're at odds with each other, a man doesn't need to switch wives and find a new spouse. He needs to incorporate wisdom. Who's wise and understanding among you? So he has to exercise wisdom rather than say, change my circumstances. Sometimes it's our circumstances that we question. We question God, we say, you know what? Lord, remove me from this. I want to change this. I want to change that. When in fact, we, all we need is wisdom. We need to go to God in prayer. Who is wise in understanding? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Again, so you see chapter one, chapter two, it talks about wisdom, talks about trials, and chapter three, speech. And then he says, who's the one who's wise? It's the person who has good conduct, that his works are done in meekness and wisdom. So that word understanding, epistemon, is used only here in the New Testament. It refers to a skilled scientific person, an expert. This knowledge must be demonstrated in some way. And the following verses after verse 13 will evidence this, will show us in order to determine its origin. Evidence must be tangible. We saw that in one twenty-two, be doers of the word, not simply hearers. James never accepts words or profession as proof of reality. It is not what we say, but what we do that counts. So he goes on now to say in verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts... So these are the guys that want to be teachers. These are the guys that say they have wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, so you're seeking for yourselves, you've got this envious attitude. If they had bitter envy and self-seeking in their hearts, any effort to display God's wisdom would be like lying against the truth. Some people are characterized by bitter Envy and selfish ambition and such attitude may enable them to go places in life. But this kind of wisdom does not come from above. It's demonic and comes straight from the adversary, as we'll see in just a moment. So he's still on the wisdom mode. And he goes on to say, this wisdom, what he just said in verse 14... It does not descend from above, but notice, it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Earthly, sensual, and demonic. Earthly points to human viewpoint. It's originating from human viewpoint versus divine viewpoint. Sensual points to the flesh or the sin nature. So you've got all three incorporated in verse 15. You've got the earthly, which deals with human viewpoint, the sensual, that points to the flesh or the sin nature, and demonic, which points to the devil himself. If this is how the would-be teacher was trying to show his wisdom, he was misled. Bill, can you read verse 13, please? James 3. So it's it's demonstrated by humility and what's that bill? By good, behavior and of good behavior and gentleness of wisdom. So this wisdom that he's referring to in verse 14 does not descend from above so there's a di- contrasting the two different wisdoms divine viewpoint or divine wisdom versus the wisdom that comes from the human viewpoint Sensual, pointing to the sin nature, and demonic, which points to the devil. All three categories of sin, the entry point is all found in this verse. So you've got earthly, human viewpoint, sensual, pointing to the sin nature or the flesh, and you've got demonic, pointing to the devil. I don't know if you recall, uh, earlier this year, I said there are three doors, the entry points uh, of sin. The world, the devil, and the sin nature. And through all three hit the believer. And there's a way to address that, all three of them. So again, this wisdom is not from above. It's a different kind of wisdom, which ultimately is demonic. So if we, we talk about this divine viewpoint versus human viewpoint, the earthly or the human viewpoint ultimately arrives or originates from the devil himself. This wisdom is not from God. It's not from above. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, so there's envy towards a person, there's self-seeking, it's all about me, confusion and every evil thing are there. So if a person is going to be envious and self-seeking, focused on himself, there is going to be confusion, which is not of God, and there's going to be every evil thing there. Envy and selfish ambition can only produce disorder or confusion. A wise person does not seek glory or gain. He is gracious and giving. An uncontrolled tongue produces envying and strife, which leads to confusion and every evil work, as seen here in verse 16. Scripture makes it clear. God is not the author of confusion. The confusion we find in the world today is a confusion brought about by the work of the devil himself, using the tongue, which causes so much trouble. Isn't it true today that when you look around in our current culture that you cannot say certain things anymore without being offensive, being called a racist? You, you say something and they react to it. They repel. You're a Christian. No, you're a racist. So the choice of words today is so heightened. Everyone seems to be hypersensitive. And I think we're seeing James 3.16 in our current situation today, where there's envy and self-seeking. It's all about me, my rights. You can't impose your beliefs on me. And they're being hypersensitive. There's massive confusion going on today. And when that's the case, every evil thing are there. We see this now. Everything is heightened, hypersensitive today. And guess why? The adversary is working triple time. And with just the tongue alone, we're seeing much devastation, much destruction. Families are being torn because now there's massive confusion galore wherever you look. People are saying one thing. Even if you're trying to be nice, you're being gracious, they're, we're still being misunderstood. You're talking to a family member and they're, what? What? They're hypersensitive. No, I'm just saying I love you. No, you didn't mean it that way. They're reinterpreting what you said. You said you love me, but you don't really. The tongue is a fire that comes from the adversary himself. It is being used today. Young ones, young folks are being taught that. You know, your parents, and then you fill in the blanks. The tongue is the weapon today. We can't even express our thoughts today without being misunderstood. There's confusion, James says. There's self-seeking envy taking place and when that's the case, there's going to be every evil thing found there. It's unfortunate, but that is the case. That's what we're seeing. Notice what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure peaceable, gentle, willing to what? Yield, give way, Merc- full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. What is good fruits in context? I think it's the words that we say. Turn to Matthew 12, 33. We're still talking about words and we're going to, Uh, Pull from Matthew 12, and if someone could read 33 to 37. This is why I was saying that the words today are being used against one another. You say one thing, and boom, it's misunderstood. But look at what Matthew 12, 33, 37 Anybody have it? Okay, Bill. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. The fruit of wipers. How can you, think he evil, speak with good? But thou speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that he will speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment your words, you will be and by your words, you will be combined. All right. So what is the fruit here equated to? Right, Laura, speech, words. And James is saying, let not all of you be teachers, because that's where we stumble. And if you can control it, you can control the rest of yourself. And in Matthew 12, we're seeing that by a good... uh, Verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your what? Your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. So if we link that with James, we have an example of using words properly. James has told us the words that we utter should be supported with good works. Done in what? Humility. And remember in chapter 2, someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works. What good is it? What's the profit if he's got, he says he has faith, but it has no works to buttress That It is dead. When you get to chapter 3, wisdom, good works, proper speech. If you can c- control your speech, you can control the rest of yourself. And thus, what we're seeing thus far, wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, not insisting in one's way, full of mercy, good fruits, which is what we saw in Matthew 12, good words, without partiality. What's partiality mean? Favoritism. Favoritism. Without favoritism and without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. The pure word refers to the characteristic of shrinking from contamination, pulling back from contamination. Peaceable means one always seeks a peaceable solution to a problem. To be gentle means to make allowances for others. Chapter 3 is loaded with our speech. If we use it incorrectly, there could be massive confusion, envy, self-seeking, and it's not coupled with humility and good works, it amounts to nothing. In fact, it's just gonna cause confusion, and what does it say in the previous verse? Every evil thing are there. For where there's envy and self-seeking, I want this. I want to benefit. I want to be heard. Instead of yielding and you're insisting in your way, there's going to be confusion and every evil thing there. There's going to be a colliding of the wills. There's going to be a colliding of personalities. But instead, we should be the wisdom that's from above. What's that mean when it says it's from above? From God. You want to see what the wisdom from God it looks like? It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing willing to what? Yield, full of mercy, good fruits, good speech, without partiality, without favoritism. I'm not this is not my favorite son. Both of them are my sons. These are all my girls. They're all favorites of my uh, these are they're all my favorite. Not the oldest one is my favorite because they were the first. We see this all the time. Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without favoritism, and without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom that comes from God. These are all criteria, characteristics of wisdom from above. There's no confusion, and there's not going to be every evil thing there. So now... If we can control the tongue, and we were just told through, throughout the chapter, we can't. What can we do? How can we get control over our tongue? Walking by means of the spirit. What have I? What have been? What have I been focused on this whole year? Power from the. What's phase two of salvation? Being delivered from the power of sin. We were all told, we were all scolded just today. We have poor language. And if we can control our language, we can control ourselves. So now, what have I been saying all this year? We need to be delivered from the power of sin. And so, you know, oh, he's going to go over that again. Power of sin. They, we've been doing this all year. How successful are you based on this morning's class? James tells us, I'm noticing that he says we can control reptiles, birds, creatures of the sea, But we can't control our tongue. Anyone beg to differ? We're all guilty. We stumble in many things. The opening of chapter 3. Including and especially our language. Maybe you don't vocalize it. But how about your thoughts? Just as bad. Because... Speech will follow our thoughts. Behavior will follow thoughts. So we've got to get our thoughts under control. How do we do that? Romans 12.2. Constant inculcation of God's word. Don't be like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So our speech needs to be from above. This is the criteria. Wisdom that's from God is first pure. It's not envious it's not jealous it's pure peaceable gentle willing to yield what's that mean give way so marty's arguing with me what am i gonna do Uh, marty you're right i'm gonna give isn't that what jesus did he gave way they're casting lots for his garments what did he say to his father Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's a yielding spirit. That's a yielding attitude. Can we utilize that today? We certainly can. This is just chapter 3. We're probably saying, well, it's not related. Uh, This doesn't deal with me. Yes, it does. Whether you know it or not. Maybe you don't have weakness in speech, but do you stumble in all ways? Isn't that what James says? Let's just make sure, just in case someone here does not stumble with their speech. Turn to James chapter 2. I just want to make sure I'm reading it properly. I hear the pages moving, that's good. For we all, what does all mean? All in Greek means all. How's that? All means everybody stumble in what? Many things. So let's just say you don't have a problem with your speech. That doesn't, that doesn't leave you... You're not in the clear. Because we all stumble in many Things And if anyone does not stumble in his speech or word, he is perfect or mature, or actually that could be um, flawless. Another word for perfect is flawless man, able also to bridle or control his whole body. So the focus on verse 2 is speech. We all have a weakness there. And we definitely have a weakness in stumbling in many things. Okay? So we just got hit hard in chapter 3 as far as our speech is concerned. And we're also wrapping it up here in chapter 3 with verse 17 because that's how he closes out with uh, chapter 3 regarding wisdom because he's contrasting the wisdom that originates from the demons, which is sensual, human viewpoint. And by the time you get to 17, this is the wisdom from God. It's first pure, it's peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and has good fruits, without favoritism, without hypocrisy. So James wants us to have an idea what the wisdom of God looks like or the wisdom that originates from above I think it's human nature to want to be wise in fact what's wisdom really because he talks about understanding what's wisdom Hmm? Knowing knowing God that's good what else very good the application of knowledge right So it's the application of it. And what does James say? Don't be hearers only. Be doers. That's true wisdom. And it's peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. You have all this, you're doing pretty good. So he tells us what this wisdom looks like by telling us in verse 17 this is how These are the characteristics of the wisdom that comes from above. We can aim for this, but it begins with the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Because chapter 1 is replete with you can't, you can't, you can't. You can't do this, you can't do this. We all stumble, so then why try? But then he tells us how it looks like. This is what true wisdom looks like. It's from above. Pure, peaceable, gentle, so think about this. What's the opposite of pure? Impure. What's the opposite of peaceable? Huh? Violent. What's the opposite of gentle? Harsh. What's the opposite of willing to yield? Stubborn, hard-headed. What's the opposite of full of mercy? judgmental how about having good fruits no application no application again be a doer not a hearer only what's without partiality having favorites having favorites what's the opposite of hypocrisy or without hypocrisy being a hypocrite so all of this we have to watch if we're claiming to be followers of God, representative of God, of God, we have to apply the wisdom that looks like this. Has to be pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, and without favoritism and without hypocrisy. You have that, you're on God's side. You're applying his wisdom and his principles as set forth by the word of God himself. We always start with 1 John 1, 9, and there's a reason for that. That's a principle and a protocol that we know so well. But if we don't know this, these things that we've just read, sin of omission, sin of commission. What's sin of commission? You're committing, you're violating the principles from God's word. What's the sin of omission? You're not doing God's word. So you all know what James 3 is talking about now. We touched on chapter 1, chapter 2. We're now responsible for all three chapters. These three chapters we've covered. This is all part and parcel of being successful in phase 2, salvation. If you didn't know this, you are in trouble until now now you know what to steward how's your speech life maybe it's not the best you can make adjustments now what's wisdom look like you think you're wise you think you're smart I'm not talking about human IQ we're talking about spiritual IQ what's the difference between spiritual IQ and human IQ one comes from here one comes from the soul Can you accelerate your spiritual IQ? Yes, you can. Someone who just became a believer today can out, can pass up a person who's been a Christian for many of years because if he's inculcating doctrine on a consistent basis, he can pass the person up. Whereas a person who's got degrees, he's got human IQ, he's smart on a a human level, you might not be able to pass him or her up because you need to go to school for that. Spiritual IQ, you can surpass a person who has been a believer for many of years if they're not consistently growing themselves. So you can grow and grow and grow and you can learn things like this. What is wisdom from above? Well, here it is, verse 17. You could commit this to memory and outpace someone who doesn't know this. This is full of principles and even doctrine right here. What's the doctrine of pure Purity. Doctrine of peaceable, gentleness, willing to yield. It's all there for all of us. So hopefully I didn't ruin anybody's day. But this is where we'll conclude. We are still going to touch through in the book of James because I I think this is perfect to go through and add this to our phase two. And then in the near future, time permits, I'm going to take us through a a topical study. I'm going to work on a topical study for you all so that we can say, ah, let's take a break from phase two. But I am heavily interested in phase two because there's a lot of things there that I think the believer can benefit from, how to be delivered. And hopefully in the end, I'll be able to tie all of this together so that we have something, not just just in this sporadic and this this um, PowerPoint slide here, there, and the other James and these slides that talk about um, discipleship, believer discipleship, faith, believe, faith, unbelief. So we'll be able to tie this together. But um, so hopefully you were able to pick something, get some benefit from this chapter three. And so having said that, let's close in a word of prayer. And if you need to confess your sins, First John 1, 9, you could do that as we close. Father, thank you as always for being gracious to us, even when we are not um, gracious to one another. We are grateful for the fact that we have examples of what true wisdom looks like and what faith applied with uh, faith accompanied with works looks like, and so we can make adjustments in our lives so that in the end, we're doers of your your word, not just hearers only. We know Jesus taught that the word of God applied will result in stability. It's like a person who built his house on a rock. So, Father, this is no joke. This really will impact our lives, and it will bring honor to you. We know, Father, that... uh, The Bible is replete with so many good doctrines and principles and it's just a matter of time as we commit to the inculcation of your word that we will be able to see it for self and that we will be able to apply it so that we would truly be doers of your word, not simply hearers. I pray now, Father, that as we sing our last song that we would be in the position to bring you honor and glory and then as we leave that you would keep us all safe so that we can return again on Sunday to engage in your word once again. We thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. I ask that you would keep everyone safe so that when we come together again, we would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Father, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.